everyone. Welcome to EGA's podcast, Telling Stories from the Clubhouse. I'm Anna Capazera, Director of Audio Description Operations at Deluxe Media. And today we are speaking with Mary Campbell, Liz Gutman, and Keith Kaloris about writing audio descriptions. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining. Please tell us a little bit about yourselves. Hi, Anna. Shall I jump in first? Sounds great. <laughs> I'm first on the screen. Um, my name is Mary Campbell. Thank you for pronouncing it correctly. Um, I am an audio describer and uh, a trainer of uh, audio describers and the AD Excellence Lead in Redby uh, Media in the UK. Um, I've been describing since uh, the year 2000. So I've been describing for a very long time. I've watched an awful lot of TV programs and content. Um, and my company provides audio description for some of the main UK broadcasters um, for linear, linear transmission and also for their video on demand streaming services. Um, yeah, so I started, I kind of got into it slightly sideways, slightly through accessibility. Um, I started off as an SDH subtitler. Um, and then uh, as we were part of the BBC in those days and the BBC uh, there was a piece of legislation that in the UK that basically told broadcasters that they had to make their content accessible for blind audiences. Um, so the BBC set up a unit. Um, I applied for the job and I, off I went. I moved to London from Scotland and I started in a very small team of four audio describers. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, Keith, would you like to go? Yeah. Um, so I... Went to school for, um, I was a television and film major uh, focusing on screenwriting. And then um, shortly after school, uh, I started making a living as an actor pretty quickly. So I, I, I was always writing, but acting kind of took the forefront. I uh, did that for about 22, 23 years. And then um, I moved into the corporate sphere in more in post-production and localization. And I was working for a smaller company, mom and pop company with about 60, 80 employees. Uh, we were purchased and then expanded and became the company we are today, uh, Pixelogic Media. And um, that first year at the Christmas party, actually, I met the VP of Worldwide Localization and we were having a nice conversation. I told her about my background in, in writing and, and uh, acting and directing and filmmaking. And she thought I would be a great fit for uh, audio description. We had not been doing that in the smaller version of the company and we were expanding into that. Um, and, uh, it all happened pretty quickly within about two months. I moved to that, into that department. Um, and at around the same time, they hired a woman, uh, named Chelsea Pancho, who, uh, I was lucky enough to train with. I don't have enough positive superlatives for Chelsea. Uh, and, and it was great because we, we started very slowly, you know, the volume was very low in the beginning and it gave Chelsea and I a, a lot of time to do, uh, a great deal of one-on-one -on -one training, very intimate one-on-one -on -one training. And, uh, and from the beginning, I was also doing the, the voice work and narration, which uh, helped a great deal with my writing. Uh, you know, when you're voicing your own stuff, it, it gives you a very keen sense of timing and, and other attributes. But um, yeah, so I trained with Chelsea and then, um, you know, over the years, that was about set, almost seven years ago, six and a half, seven years ago. 
since then, you know, I've moved into a managerial position that developed some of my own philosophies uh, about it all. And, you know, after doing a great deal of writing and voicing and, um, and here we are. Great. Thank you. I guess that leaves me. Um, (laughs) Hi, uh, my name is Liz Gutman. I'm the head audio description writer at IDC, uh, International Digital Center. Um, We're a small independently owned post-production company with um, locations both in New York and LA. Um, I've been in audio description for five years now. Um, So I'm, I'm the newbie here. Um, I actually heard about audio description first on a podcast um, called 20,000 Hertz. And it was uh, an episode just about audio description. And I'd never heard of it. This was in 2017. Um, Had no idea it was even a thing. I was like, blind people watch TV? What? Um, But on that episode, they interviewed uh, someone named Colleen Connor, who does, um, she co-founded a company called Audio Description Training Retreats. And I was like, huh, I went to college for acting and writing. Um, I wonder if I could do this. It sounds like something I could be good at. So I did a training with um, Colleen and their co-founder, Jan Volgaropoulos, um, in 2018. And that training changed my life. Um, I mean, it was not an exaggeration. Um, I actually am lucky enough to teach with Colleen now um, to train other audio describers Um, and yeah, after that, I started freelancing, I did some more training, um, and then eventually got hired, uh, by IDC to be one of their staff writers. And yeah, and that's my story. Amazing. Thank you, Liz. This, um, this brings up an interesting question since you did mention, you know, you listened to this podcast and, um, that's how you learned about AD. And I, myself, when I moved to LA was looking for jobs and, found a job for an audio description writer. I'd never heard of what AD was before. It was 2008. I really had trouble finding samples. So Mary, I'm sure you encountered, you know, sort of a similar thing um, when you were getting into AD. And I'm just curious, Mary and Keith, if you had ever heard about AD before, um, had any exposure to it before you, uh, you know, ended up in the field. No. (laughs) (laughs) We were making it up as we went along. I mean, in those early days, the technology wasn't there to receive us. Never mind. I mean, we were broadcasting, um, but our audience was basically 50 blind people, guinea pigs. Um, And because they didn't have the kit to receive us, some guys from research and development went to their houses and souped up set-top boxes with cards you know just so that they could receive us and then they had the quaintest of things a phone line (laughs) through which they could phone us and tell us what they thought of our ad so from very early on we got a very kind of intimate relationship with our audience because we knew them all by name because we'd see all these names coming up and they would say what they thought of the ad and what they you know what they wanted from the service so we were able, we were quite lucky because nobody could hear in a way, nobody was really listening that much. And we could hone our guidelines and work out what we were about. And we were, I mean, we were developing the software at the time. I mean, everything was new in those days. Um, so it was really exciting. Um, but yeah, we were winging a bit. The only, the only AD I'd ever heard before I started was I went to a, a theatre production of Uncle Vanya in Edinburgh. 
And it was two very, very lovely elderly ladies from a very fancy neighborhood in Edinburgh, kind of just riffing off each other, talking, well, Uncle Vanyo walks, well, he sort of runs across the stage, and kind of just kind of mentioned, you know, describing as they went. Um, that sounds like I'm kind of criticizing live audio description. I'm very much in awe of people who do live AD. Um, it's a real art form in and of itself, uh, not my skill set at all. But um, yeah, AD was in its infancy when we started. And now it's completely different. You know, we don't play off tape. Everything is streamed. Everything is linear, you know, you know, on demand services has basically changed that landscape massively. Yeah, it's huge. Keith, what about you? Um, well, I guess I had the benefit of, of, of uh, you know, being able to use some of the pioneering that, that you did. Um, but there, there was quite a bit out there when I started. And I was familiar with it because I had done a lot of different um, work in other aspects of localization before AD. Um, and I had actually done uh, quality control passes on some uh, descriptive audio. So I, I was familiar with what it was, but, you know, just sort of a glancing knowledge of it. But, you know, at least I did have some sort of reference going into it, you know, when I started my training. But there was already a lot out there when I started. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Chelsea would come in with like a stack of DVDs of, of films that, you know, she had worked on. And we would go through them and, you know, uh, different genres and and you know, study why certain decisions were made to describe things in a certain way and just see the different challenges that come with different genres. And, and um, so I, I definitely benefited from coming in a little later in the process, but uh, I certainly appreciate that, that early work that was done. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of like the wild west in a way, you know, there, there are, there are certain um, protocols that, that we all follow, but, uh, and this is why it's so difficult to train people is that I think every, you know, quote unquote rule that we have and try to follow, we break it at some point, because at the end of the day, you know, our goal is to, to con convey the story as well as we can, you know, and, and we're always trying to balance this um, uh, a tightrope of providing the AD listener with what they need, but also being true to the people that create the content and relaying their story accurately and not, embellishing or, or you know, uh, telling it in, in a way that would displease them or in an inaccurate way. Great. And so all of you um, have been doing AD writing for quite a long time. Um, and much like myself, your roles have expanded beyond um, AD writer. I was wondering if you could just um, expand a little bit about, you know, what your extra, you know, roles and responsibilities are now on top of writing. Uh, Liz. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, when I first came on, I was, uh, pretty much exclusively doing writing. I do, I did, and still occasionally do some, uh, narration as well. Occasionally I'll get to narrate something that I wrote, which is extra fun because <laughs> I know exactly how I want it to be narrated. Um, but yeah, as, um, as our department has kind of grown, I spend more time doing trainings, um, you know, training new writers, getting them up to speed on our style guide, um, you know, giving script feedback, um, keeping our style guide updated. There's a fair bit of sort of internal administration that I'm in charge of as well. Uh, just making sure everything's kept up to date and consistent. Um, some project coordination 
making sure things get delivered on time, covering for my boss when he's out, stuff like that. Um, so it's a little bit of everything. Great. Thank you. Mary. Um, I'm a bit similar to Liz. I, I, I kind of do a lot of training now. I'm kind of very involved in um, training new writers uh, and narrators. And I've done that in sort of UK, a little bit in the US and in Australia, mostly remotely, unfortunately, thanks COVID, um, because, um, yeah, we, we, we couldn't travel uh, when we were setting up some of these new teams. So um, I've had to, through necessity, look at what our training is, how we provide it, how can we scale it, you know, how do we make it, because as Keith said, it's really difficult to train new describers. They le- we learn on the job. You learn through going through all the different genres of programming and all the content and all the curveballs that content creators throw your way. And you think, oh, how am I going to describe that? That's really weird. Um, abstract stuff. You know, so it's very much a kind of learn on the job kind of job. So um, I've been heavily involved in that side of it. But more recently, since the start of the year, I've become um, the AD Excellence Lead, which means, which is, is a fancy sounding title, ridiculously fancy sounding title. Um, and it basically means that I'm the kind of knowledge lead for AD in our company. And I kind of have one foot in our operation. So I still do audio description. I still kind of keep my, my kind of ear to the ground and my kind of foot in my old team in terms of producing it. But I'm also looking at how we can expand kind of internationally and at home and provide kind of, you know, as we move away from perhaps kind of traditional linear broadcast models and look at kind of, you know, how the industry is changing, what we can do in that space. Um, And yeah, so part of that recently has been about bringing in blind and visually impaired narrators and QCers. We're a little bit behind you guys in the States with that. Um, and we're learning from your example in a way. Um, it, the UK, something to say about the kind of UK uh, model is we're slightly different to you guys in the States. You do a lot of kind of writing in-house and then you go to the studios and have voice talent, kind of voice your scripts. In the UK, we're much more of a kind of, it's not a cottage industry, but we write and voice scripts um, in-house ourselves um, and part of the kind of stumbling block for us in terms of using um, blind narrators has been a kind of technical one Um, just looking at how you know the software works and how we can bring it into our workflow but we're getting there um, and so that's really exciting Um, and another thing that we're also looking at as, as kind of part of this excellence lead remit is live AD which again we're kind of following you guys your lead We've done a wee bit of live AD in the UK over the years. Um, it tends to be kind of one-off sort of big events like um, the Paralympics opening ceremonies. Um, so we've done that kind of event with our in-house describers doing it. It's a lot of work and a lot of preparation. Um, but we also consult with broadcasters on making their commentary So using their existing broadcast talent, making their commentary more AD friendly and more accessible. So describing more of the the visuals than you would get in um, normal commentary. So, yes. So the AD Excellence Lead is a bit of a kind of broad remit. Got my fingers in lots of pies. I get asked to do lots of things. And it's so it makes the job really interesting um, in a different way in the way that AD is is an interesting job because you get to watch lots of different types of programs on TV. 
best job in the world. It is interesting the difference, you know, in the US, we do have a lot more, you know, separated writers versus voice actors. Um, so I may be the odd person out here in this case, though, since Liz has done some voicing and Mary and Keith, you also voice as well. Um, I have a tr- I have a lot of trouble even reading back my own ED without stumbling over it. So I really admire your skill sets for being able to do that. Um, and Keith, aside from writing and voicing, what are your additional responsibilities? Well, my, my day-to-day responsibilities have moved more into um, uh, training new writers, uh, ongoing training with existing writers, um, and voice talent as well. Uh, I do a great deal of editing. We edit all the scripts that come in from freelancers for various reasons. One, to make sure that they're adhering to client-specific guidelines, because a lot of these writers are jumping back and forth from company to company, and they forget or get confused and and sometimes their scripts will come in and they're not following, you know, a client specific guideline. So we do edits for that reason and others. Um, I do a great deal of editing um, and I do a great deal of, uh, and I have a great deal of interaction with the writers on a, on a daily basis when they're come up, you know, come upon a difficult situation with a certain genre and they want to know how to handle it or, um, or even just giving them feedback. You know, sometimes I'll have, a writer writing for a children's show and they're using language that would be way above, you know, a child's understanding and, you know, giving them feedback about that kind of thing. Um, but it's mostly editing and training at this point uh, for me. Um, and, and the training aspect, uh, just to, to piggyback a little bit on what uh, Mary is saying, it's really difficult because unlike other forms of localization where Basically, if if you get through an initial training and somebody has a style guide they can follow to the word, they'll be okay. And they'll uh, with AD, it's just there are so many unique circumstances that come up depending on the genre genre you're working with that the train there's no definitive end to the training really. It just it, it goes on. And I found the the best way, unfortunately, because it's difficult, is to have someone in a room right beside you. So as they're writing, they're just firing off dozens of questions a day at me. And that I can answer, and um, and you know, almost like an apprentice, an old school apprentice kind of, of training, because it's a really difficult form of writing. It's a, it's a unique blend of, of technical and creative. Um, I think some people that come from a very technical background may have difficulty, or come from a very literary background have difficulty. Uh, some people that are extremely creative uh, have difficulty reining in that creativity to follow the rules. Um, so it, it's difficult, the, the, the training. Um, it, it's hard to get. And the only way you get there is just writing and experience and asking a lot of questions. Um, but anyway, that's so my day to day, that's what uh, it mostly consists of. Yeah, you know, COVID really, I think, brought to the forefront um, an understanding for me of how much just being in the office with staff writers while working is so helpful because, you know, they're sitting right there with you and you could just say, can you, you know, can you look at this? What is this? What do I call this? And I'm always picking up new vocab from other people. And I'll be like, how do you even know that word? And sometimes it's like, oh, it's because I described that two years ago in a different movie. And I, you know, learned it from someone else. or I looked it up then. And it's such a great resource. Um, yep. So, yeah. So it's been really interesting trying to train and work with new people, um, you know, when you don't have that in-person benefit. Uh, I'm curious. 
um, for, you know, as you mentioned, it's really hard to train and new writers have all these different uh, styles and personality traits and all the different things you need to figure out how to teach these people how to write. And it's always, uh, you're always training. And I'm curious, uh, what's your specific process in terms of, you know, I have this movie, I'm going to describe it today. Sit down at your desk. Uh, what do you do? Mary, let's start with you. Well, if it's a movie, we don't do cinema releases. Oh, we don't do cinema. Sorry, I thought I was muted there. We don't do cinema releases. So we, um, if it's a movie that's already, that exists, the first thing you do is look to see if there's an online screenplay or script for it. Um, not always accurate, um, but sometimes useful and gives you a bit of a sort of scaffold that you can build the, the AD script around. Um, do a lot of online research, you know, just looking at fan sites. If you're doing something like The Simpsons, having every couch gag <laughs> explained, which for a UK, kind of for me in the UK, I might not get the kind of nuance of a baseball player that's really famous in the States, but is unknown to us. We've got to kind of translate it for our audience so that it has some sort of meaning and resonance. So, um, yeah, a lot of online research. Thank you, Google. Thank you, Google Lens. Um, pronunciation websites. I kind of look if there's going to be a lot of foreign language content, if we're doing something with a lot of burnt-in subtitles and captions. Um, having good pro uh, pronunciation websites is, is great. So, yeah, YouTube. Thank you, YouTube, with uh, your online interviews with people saying their own names. That's like the the kind of top tier from the horse's mouth best um, in pronunciation. Because before, I mean, you know, you guys are all right, AD, you know how much effort goes into doing the opening credits <laughs> of a movie. The pronunciations of all these kind of, you know, wonderful names. Um, you know, I can probably get through French and German, but that's probably about it. So, yeah, pronunciation websites are really useful. Um, and also because of the way that we do it in the UK, and I just it speaks to what you were saying about um, Liz, what you were saying about when you're voicing your own scripts, how you know what it, what you, how you want it to be said. Because our all of our voice, our in-house voicers, our narrators are also scripters, so they kind of understand what AD is at a very granular level, and that helps it um, enormously. Um, and one of the sort of things that we do as part of our process, all of us, is we will fill in a program template for something that, you know, if it's a serial drama or a soap opera or anything like that, um, because we work in a broadcast environment where media sometimes comes in late, we don't have that sort of always have that kind of box set lead time where we can say, right, so-and-so is going to work on this series this week. So we fill in program templates, kind of paying it forward for the next person who needs to know what the kind of synopsis is of the latest episode, uh, what the pronunciation of the writer's names are, you know, just so that that work doesn't go to waste. It's kind of collect, it's collectively kind of stored somewhere for access. So, yeah. That's it, kind of a show glossary. So important. It's yeah. Yeah. So and helpful. In and in-house expertise as well. We're a broad church in our team, you know, and I love the fact that there's a real kind of diversity of age range, particularly, you know, so. Yeah. 
I can tell someone who I was going to say a post-war prime minister is. That makes me sound older than I am. <laughs> uh, a bad reference. But, you know, and they could show me who, you know, Lizzo or Doja Cat or now I'm going to sound really silly. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to explain a microfiche machine to someone once. So that was, you know, um, Liz, what about you? What's your process? Uh Mary covered a lot of the stuff that I do. I mean, the pronunciations are huge. Um, and we always, we have sort of a, a multi-pronged approach to that as well, um, where there, you know, there are websites, there's trying to find interviews and stuff, but we'll write out pronunciations, but we'll also record a little like pronunciation guide. That's partly because, um, partly just because to have like more stop gaps in place, um, and we'll also, if we can, have time codes where the name is spoken to be like, okay, listen at this time code. This is how I'm writing it out. This is, I'm saying to you how it should be spoken, um, just to do our best to eliminate the need for pickups later on, especially with names. It just gets to be a huge thing. Um, but also, since we started working with blind and low vision talent in 2020, that was one of the flip sides of the pandemic for us and with the remote workflows is all of a sudden everyone could work remotely. Um, and we were like, hey, uh, now there are no more barriers to us recording remotely with this blind and low vision talent. Um, so that's, a, you know, a, just another way to make it more clear too um, and make it more accessible. I mean, I'm sure you all have heard, you know, you've typed out your perfect little um, pronunciation guide and then someone totally misreads it anyway. Um, you know, ideally, if I have time, like I'll watch as much of the whatever I'm working on as I can just to get a sense of it. I always tell new writers, this is very much a do as I say, not as I do situation. I always tell new writers to, you know, if you're working on a movie, watch the whole movie before you do anything. Um, because since we're translators, really, at the end of the day, we're translating the experience of watching a movie as a sighted person into, well, twice into words on a page and then into an auditory track. Um we, it, it behooves you to, if possible, watch it all the way through to just let everything wash over you and let everything hit you and notice, notice the moments you notice, um, you know, catch the jokes, catch all of that stuff. Uh, however, deadlines are often very tight. So um, usually I'll have time to watch, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour of something ahead of time, um, just to kind of get like a sense for the flavor um, what the tone is, um, maybe thinking about potential narrators, definitely catching all the jokes. Jokes are huge. Like I always hammer that into whoever I'm training. It's just like, catch all the jokes, catch all the jokes. Um, any potentially tricky things like action sequences, those I'll have to kind of watch, you know, in full right before I start writing it just to get the main beats of the action. Um, since you kind of have to, I find I need to I can get every third beat or so in like a fight scene. Um, if there's anything like multiple identities or clones or things like that, uh, just really any potential snags um, that I might be able to kind of set myself up for mentally and go, okay, I need to make sure I keep track of this person. This character's name changes halfway through, start on a show glossary, um, start, you know, noting down time codes and stuff. And then I kind of switch between I used to edit as I go for everything and just like, write, you know, write a, a segment, go back, edit it, done onto the next thing. 
Um, and now I kind of switch between that workflow and like banging out a first draft beginning to end and then going back and doing a polish. Um, it really just depends on how much gas I have in the tank and, um, and what the deadline is. So I'm not going to tell you which one of those I do when I have more or less time. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And then just do my best from there. And sometimes I'll need to go back and do another pass, particularly if it's high profile or particularly complicated, or if there's some detail that comes up later on, I go, Oh, I can't call that a sedan. It's a coupe or something like that. I have to just, you know, do a quick little find and replace for stuff like that. But yeah, that's, that's basically it. Great. Thanks. And Keith, what about you? Uh, well, I think uh, Mary and Liz covered, you know, a lot of what I would say. Um, I, I think there's always this balance between what is the ideal creative way to approach things, but then there's the business aspect of it that gets in the way, like aggressive turnarounds, crazy volume you have to get through that will not allow you to you know, engage in that ideal scenario of how you want to approach it creatively. I think a watch through, I always encourage writers to do a watch through first, you know, to get some of that nuts and bolts stuff out of the way, take some notes about when characters are named, you know, uh, whether there's, uh, you know, uh, narratives showing up, uh, are you, is there a, a very challenging piece that's coming up later that you know is going to take a great deal of time and getting ahead of that and understanding that that's pending and those kind of things. Um, but it's not always possible, unfortunately, for a writer that, that that's under an aggressive deadline. But um, and, and it's funny because I can tell now I, I've just edited so many of these things. I can tell when a writer was under the gun and rushing through because it, it'll have more of like a play by play feel like they're literally just describing as things come up rather than having the foreknowledge of, you know, what's coming up. That gives it better flow, if that makes sense, you know, that, that it, it doesn't have a choppy and honestly, like as someone who voices this stuff, um, I always encourage writers like combine those events. Don't have a lot of little choppy events because every one of those events, the voice talent has to stop and start again recording. So if you can, if you've got two events that are butted up next to each other and there's there's no reason they're separated other than you're describing as you go through, put those together, make it one longer event so that the voice talent's not constantly stopping and starting. So there's, there's things like that, that, that come up. Um, but in terms of uh, the, the, the preparation and how I go about it, I, Mary and Liz covered a lot of it, you know, um, do a watch through, take notes. Um, you know, some people like to go in and actually put event blank events in where all the spaces are first and then go back and fill them in appropriately. Um there's a lot of different, you know, styles and techniques to go about it, but, um, but I think we covered, you know, most of the basics. Yeah. Getting in the watch through on a tight deadline is really, it's very tough. I, um, do my, myself do not have a great short-term memory, so I will even just watch it, you know, in my own time, just to make sure that I've caught everything and taken notes because I know, you know, just because of my own brain, capacity apparently um i need to write that stuff down so I don't forget you know something that pays off or uh you know when a character is named and i've gotten you know i would get a little bit carried away sometimes and watched a movie with someone we were going to share split it and she looked over and i was just writing down a time code and i wrote boat and she was just like do you think this boat's going to be plot relevant uh, they're just in a marina, and I was like, I don't know. He glanced at it. It's, you know, who who knows? But I need to know where it showed up. 
Um, so, you know, it's always such a, you know, interesting thing to hear about everyone's different process. Uh, we did talk about these tight turnarounds and deadlines and, um, you know, when you're under the gun, but I'm going to say to sort of cut out the uh, different scenarios here in an ideal world, how long would it typically take you to write an AD script for something, let's say a hundred minutes long, um, Liz? Uh, for a hundred minutes, a couple of days. I mean, it, it depends again, it depends on how dense it is, but I'd say, you know, three days comfortably, generally speaking. Uh, Keith. Yeah. I, I mean, again, there's like the, the, the ideal situation and then what you really kind of have to do, um, and, and it can vary, honestly, it can vary so much with genre. And just, you know, if you're doing a romantic comedy where it's just, blah, 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 you know, wall-to-wall dialogue, you can fly through those. You get a horror movie where, you know, there's a lot of room for description. You're going to have a lot more events. And the timing of those events is crucial because you don't want to break tension by describing something too early or ruining a jump scare or whatever. Those kind of movies can take a lot longer. My rule of thumb is 20 to 30 minutes of program time a day is a good average. We have writers that do faster than that. And, and we have some that works more slowly, uh, but I feel like that's a good place to start anyway. Yeah. It's really hard to gauge how long something takes. It really, I hate questions like this because it is how long is the piece of string. Um, you know that you can, I mean, certain types of, you were asking about movies, Anna, but you know, certain types of content, you can turn around very, very quickly. Lifestyle shows that are kind of, you know, dialogue heavy um but with movies I, I sort of agree with what Liz and Keith were saying you know it's it's a couple of days to a week it depends on the movie it depends on what the client wants from that movie so I've just done an interesting thing um recently where it is sort of called bespoke AD and it's a client in Australia who's doing a sort of auteur cinema strand and they want the AD just to have that extra polish and do something to the AD to do something a bit different, um, which has been sort of great fun because that's, I mean, we've had the time and the, the the ability and the resources to kind of put a real polish on what the AD is doing in this film. So we're kind of looking at motifs across the narrative space. So usually in AD, we don't repeat, you know, we try not to avoid repetition. Um, we vary our vocabulary. Um, in this particular one, it was Blue Velvet that I was working on a couple of weeks ago we were deliberately picking out motifs and and repeating them so that they sort of chime with the audience. They get used to the the kind of um, the fact that, you know, an example is the early on in Blue Velvet, there's a character who who has a fit. Mr. Beaumont has a fit and he he's on the grass and he's kind of writhing on the grass with this, if I can say this, sort of ejaculatory hose kind of going off. Um, and it's there as a visual element that is then later echoed in the sort of, this is in sunshine at the start of the film, it's echoed later in a kind of darker scene um, where Dorothy is writhing on the floor during a kind of brutal sexual encounter, a rape scene. And so you've got this kind of a client who wants the AD to sort of bring out the aspects of this kind of type of cinema and that's that's brilliant when you get the chance to do that that's fantastic because it makes it it just makes it so much more interesting it makes it really interesting <laughs> it makes something that is interesting even more interesting 
You know, you all bring up a great point about the genre and the, you know, the style of the program, because it's true. I should have specified, you know, we're all we're all going to describe when Harry met Sally, how long would it take? Uh, because, um, you know, we also sort of have metrics that we say we we want you to cover this many minutes of program per day. Uh, and, you know, and then I'll find myself being like, oh, I did five minutes today on this sci-fi movie. Uh, and then I finished, I almost finished this romantic comedy in a day because there's a narrator who tells you the whole thing through, you know, the entire movie. So it's, it can be so different and hard to gauge uh, married to. I, I was just going to say that people work at different speeds and that's okay. We have a variety of people that come at this from different angles. Um, there is no one size fits all when it comes. You're right. We need a metric. We need benchmarks on how long roughly these things take. But there's something quite unique about AD in the way that the narration, the voice talent relies so heavily on the script being good. So a writer who just kind of cuts corners and rushes and runs faster to, to hit a deadline isn't necessarily um, producing quality audio description because they then create problems for the voicer um, yep. and the narrator at the other end. So fast isn't always efficient and that's sometimes quite difficult when people who don't do ad or they're coming at it from a different angle you know they don't really appreciate you could go well it's really difficult to say how long that piece of string is that you won't absolutely measure (laughs) that's such a good point you brought up because it all starts with a clean script if you don't have a clean script it just gums up the works from that point on and and you're better off spending a little more time getting that right rather than paying for it later um, hey, I, if, if I could, I just want to comment on something. I think we can commiserate on this. You were both talking about it before, and I, I didn't get a chance to chime in, but about the opening credits thing. It's been the bane of my existence, our existence. And we're at the point now where we, if we start with a new client, we always push for, let's just not, because we have one very big client, very big client that do, that does that requests that we don't cover any of the opening or end credits, including logos, legal, any of it. And we don't do, and it's a dream. It's so, and and I think it makes the AD better because you know, would the AD listener rather have us in the beginning just shouting a bunch of names out at them or describing you know what's happening visually under that? Because all that information is is available other places. Our description is not. You know, I would rather focus because sometimes it can just take an inordinate amount of time working on these credits. You know, and looking up the pronunciation, searching for interviews, and all this just to get these names when. You know, and then you're you're rushing the rest of the, you know, arguably more important part of what you're doing, which is the description of the story. So we, uh, that's something I've been battling with. Uh, every new client we work with, even the existing clients, I'm encouraging to just drop the the credits, you know, and just um, focus on the description. Yeah, I have a dream that maybe one day we can move all of the opening titles and credits to the end. So we still include the information and we'll get a pronunciation guide from the client. Um, I know that's not a thing, but uh, it would be pretty amazing. Um, So it looks like we're reaching the end. And so I guess I'll just ask you all one wrap up question, which is uh, what was your favorite project to work on and why? I have like seven. I mean, I got to work on a lot of cool stuff last year. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was like a dream project just because I love stop motion. Um, but Squid Game was particularly exhilarating to write. 
Um, and I'm super proud of how that track turned out. I bet that sounds, that sounds like it would have been a lot of fun and some interesting scenarios. Uh, Mary. Oh, this is really hard. It's like choosing your children between your children. <laughs> um, I think one of my sort of most favorite is also one of the trickiest I've ever done was a season of The Handmaid's Tale because, oh, there are so many things going on. The names get recycled depending on whether you're in Gilead. You know, so there's Offred in Gilead. She's June when she's not in Gilead. And then the handmaid's names get recycled within that. So someone who was off Glenn becomes off Stephen and the old off Stephen gets killed. And so you, you can't rely on voice alone for the kind of the kind of steer for the audience. Um, Elizabeth Moss's eyes, a lot of the kind of emotional heft of that series is done through her eyes. She acts through her eyes. And that's incredibly difficult for the describer. What do we say? We can't, you don't want to overinterpret emotions, right? But you've got to say something that conveys some of that emotional, um, what's going on emotionally there, really difficult. Um, and I think also it's one of my favorites because the way it uses incidental music, the way whoever chooses the music for that show is a genius. It kind of cuts you sometimes I st it stays it, it stayed with me years later I still think of certain scenes in that from that show all the time <laughs> so yeah Handmaid's Tale for me um I don't think I'm supposed to mention specific titles or clients but um uh, I had the benefit of uh writing and voicing uh an Academy Award winner for best picture and that was that was fun it was a great just a great movie and it was fun to work on and there was some nice feedback from the community about it and then, so that was nice and then and then a second academy award winner uh i edited the script and i also voiced the subtitles for one of the lead characters which was fun so i got to do a couple different things on that and it got again a lot of nice feedback from the community and um and it was just a big movie and a great movie and it was fun to work on that and then uh, the other one that sticks out is uh, I was able to work hand in hand with a uh, blind consultant and associate producer on a show primarily about blind people uh, and blind characters. And that was very informative and very fun to, to, to work with him uh, on that. Uh, you know, it was very insightful and, and it was really challenging as well, the show. So those three stick out for me. Great. Yeah. What a great learning experience getting to work with uh consultant um well i think we're out of time everyone thank you so much for joining me and it was great to hear from all of you and um i hope you listeners out there learned a little bit about ad writing today thanks anna thanks anna nice meeting all of you bye Join us next time when we share more stories about elevating the art and science of global storytelling.